You see, I got a metal detector. Yeah, I saw your metal detector. I had to step over your metal detector when I came in with the big headphones. What are you looking for, anyway? Not treasure. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I want treasure can also be like old nails or like a dime. It's just you know, I like for I foraging. I like hunting for things. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted it. I feel like if like, I described your hobbies to somebody, they would picture you living in a shoe. <laughs> I like slid on my clip-on sunglasses mm-hmm. and was like strapping into the <laughs> metal detector, and I was like, my dream of becoming a fifty-five-year-old man like coming true. <laughs> had some qualms and then I was like <gasps> and then I was like well in a nutshell that was me watching the episode yeah okay guys welcome to SVU pod especially heinous I'm Tasha I'm Gabe and we are on season one episode 16 the episode is entitled Miss Leader yeah welcome like- Miss Kansas <laughs> Miss Leader that's not a state Miss Iowa con- nobody was confused by that yeah follow us on Instagram Twitter Facebook SVU Pod. Join our Facebook group, which is also SVU Pod. Check out our website, SVU Pod, especially <laughs> heinous.com. We gotta change that. I know. <laughs> SVU Pod, especially heinous.com. Also, the source material for everything is on the website. Are you sweaty too? No. Is this really just Arby's or You're am I like sweating like a motherfucker? Like, like, what is happening? I don't know. Maybe Arby's first time gotcha. A little sweaty? Yeah. Worth it. Email us at svupod at gmail.com and rate and review us on Apple Podcast. But like listen to us everywhere. Yeah, we're we're everywhere all the time watching you. <laughs> <laughs> Opening scene. You're in a hotel. Wait, this is the first episode that we've seen that intros with inspired by true events. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm looking into that because sometimes I have to figure out what the chaser's going to be and I'm like, this is what it's going to be. Yeah. But it's just inspired. So the chaser's decently different. So it's like, you're still going to get two stories. Yeah. Opening scene. A housekeeper in a hotel, she comes into the room and she's like saying stuff. Like, it just seems like it's really messy. And then she opens the sliding door and there's a woman's body in the bed. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, miss. And then she realizes she's dead and like freaks out. Yeah. The woman is pale, white, in her undies. She's a thin blonde. Benson and Stabler show up. Stabler notes the condition of the room. The tech informs them that the victim did not have any valuables anywhere in the room. Benson notes that the victim's purse does not have any like jewelry in it. And she's like, I always keep a pair of earrings in my purse. Oh, it's not st- <laughs> Is that ben- Benson? Yeah. And Stabler's like, no, you don't carry a purse. He's like, can you hold it for me? Yeah, that was cute. Yeah, and he's like... <laughs> like, as soon as I saw a dead body in the hotel room in this scene, I was like, ooh, the DNA for this is going to be messy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the lady says, like, Eric already lifted, like, 15 prints, and we just started. I don't know, Eric is a tech, I was saying. Yeah, he was the guy in the background with the windbreaker, like, this is my shot. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, bruises around her neck, so Stabler thinks that she got asphyxiated. Yeah, and her larynx was crushed. Yeah. They also said that she was killed between 4 and 10 p.m., and there's minor personalization. With the arms being folded. And, yeah. Yeah. They're at the precinct. She, Munch and Jeffries are discussing, like, what rape is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and she's like, dude, it's power and dominance. And he's like, yeah, but you can't discount, like, the sexual part of it, too. And then Benson and Stabler get there, and it's like this whole, like... Munch's living for the fact that Jeffries is not sick of debating him yet. Yeah. Then Craigan pops in and he's like, team meeting. Everybody gather around. (laughs) 
Benson Stabler informed them that the initial cause of death is strangulation early in the evening. Their guess it was a robbery, rape, homicide, mm-hmm. but there was no sign of like forced entry. And if she fought back, she didn't for very long. There's exclusionary prints and DNA being done yeah. on the hotel staff. So they're going to be able to rule out anybody who works there pretty quick. Yeah. The victim's name is Sylvia Hadley. She's married and her husband's in Baltimore. The reason she was in New York is because her father-in-law, Dr. Benjamin Hadley, and his wife, who doesn't get a name. So Sylvia, her father-in-law, Dr. Benjamin Hadley, and his wife were attending the National Conference of Christian Colleges. So Munch goes, not the Benjamin Hadley, more powerful than Pat Robertson, able to leap a tall Democrat in a single bound, president of Midvale College, which used to be a podunk nothing, but now it's suddenly a think tank for the neoconservative movement. And Benson's like, although that's an oxymoron. Yeah. And Munch is like, I love you, Olivia. <laughs> and I loved that too. Even though Munch annoys me, I really like when they all get along. Yeah. Craigan's going to have some plain clothes pick up the husband from the airport. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are going to go talk to the in-laws. Craigan's like, be direct, but be discreet. I can smell the politics right away. I'm already pissed off. This is scene two. And at the bottom of this in my notes, I have, so it's the father-in-law, Yeah. Like, oh, I was already like pissed off just because I can smell the politics. Why the fuck are I know Christians any religion involved in? Why does that? Why are they interconnected? Oh, I just can't even like. It fucking pisses me off. They're in the Emmy office. By the way, her name is Rogers. Did you know that? <gasps> did you know that this is her? Yes, I did, and that this is her last episode. Oh, she's not in. Does she switch to the other lady that I like with the hair? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love her. Yeah. They're at the Emmy's office. Rogers informs Munch and Jeffries that she has confirmed the cause of death as manual strangulation and narrowed the time of death between 6.30 and 9. And the rape kit was positive for semen and the um, sheets had a bunch of jizz on them too. Yeah. And she, she, was was like, ju- she was like, it's a good sample. Yeah. She also said that there's no cloth-like abrasions or leather cuts. What does that mean? From being tied. Oh, so it was like by hand. Yeah. 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 Munch's terrible timing of hitting on the medical examiner over a corpse on a metal table is telling. <laughs> Emmy is not impressed. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are at the Versailles Hotel, and they're talking to the Hadleys, Dr. It, Hadley and his wife. It's just Versailles. What did I say? Versailles. Oh. They're at the Versailles. <laughs> they're at the Versailles Hotel. Benson and Stabler are talking to the Hadleys. Dr. Hadley said that Sylvia decided to skip the mixer and that she was tired from walking around the city. It's a hard city. They tell Benson and Sabler that she was burning the midnight oil a lot with their financial guy, Brad Weber. Mm-hmm. And they say that she doesn't really have any enemies or anything. Right. She's well-liked. A couple things that I'm annoyed about here. <laughs> <laughs> When you say that Benson and Stabler are there talking to the Hadleys, they're talking to Dr. Benjamin Hadley. The Mm -hmm. only contribution that the wife makes besides staring off into the distance, do you want coffee? Like super raspy, like it's the first time she spoke in four years. And another thing that bothered me, I was like, wait a minute, they're in these people's hotel room. Why is every single one of them wearing a winter coat, like pea coats and suit coats? I don't understand what they're doing in a hotel room. Like I could see if Benson and Stabler showed up and they kept their coats on because they're like, we're just going to ask you a few questions. But everybody else is like, ooh, you brought in quite a draft. And they all put on their fucking... (laughs) New York's rough. The walls are thin. (laughs) So Dr. Ben, that's what I call him for the rest of the time, okay. just Dr. Ben, because their son is also Ben. So Dr. Ben and Ben Jr. is how okay. I refer to them in my notes. 
Dr. Ben blames them being in New York City and atheistic hedonism oh, for yeah, her death. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah, and he's speculating that it was a drug addict or a rapist. And I'm like, I'm speculating you. Also, cool mustache, you dork. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's mustache. That's the only other thing the wife said in that when she was like, when he said atheistic hedonism. And she's like, Benjamin. Don't let those words cross your lips. Just kidding. I haven't spoken. <laughs> Do you want some coffee? <laughs> Benson and Stabler are still at the hotel, and they're walking with who seemed to be the head of security. He looks like if Rodney Dangerfield had never found drugs. Like He looked like somebody's <gasps> sweet, did. funny, sassy grandpa. Yeah. So they're going over all the security measures that the hotel takes, camera stuff, logs for incoming and outgoing visitors. There's a bunch of stuff that they go through to keep the hotel secure. Mm-hmm. And he's like, boom, here's a list of all the activities surrounding Sylvia, like video surveillance. But there's a timestamp glitch. Of course there is. And that's yeah. going to come up. And he also says... You can check out our staff, but you won't get a hit. We do more background checks than the FBI. Mm -hmm. The head of security also informs them that the Baxter Arms was burglarized. As they leave, Benson reads the printout and relays the information to Stabler. The maid had cleaned her room at 925. She did not have any room service during that like crucial time on Sunday. Right. So they were then wondering if If somebody was like waiting for her. Yeah, Yeah. like somebody from room service because they're like, who else would have access to her room? Mm -hmm. So they're kind of at a standstill with that. Stabler tosses Benson the car keys and she catches them so naturally. I wonder how many takes they do of little things like this just to subconsciously remind us of their best friendship and their bond with each other. Yeah. So they're at the office of Brad Weber, these peeps financial guy, mm-hmm. the one who was burning the midnight oil. Yeah. He lives in Baltimore, but he has an office in New York. So they're asking him about that night and he scoffs a little too much for my liking. It's like they just have to ask you these questions. They're doing an investigation. Somebody that you work closely with was just fucking murdered. Yeah. He's like, you seem suspicious. Yeah. She's like, yeah, everybody is right now. Like, duh, you dick. You and your dumb LA looks gel slick hair. Oh my God, I know. Anyway, you were there that night. You're going to have to answer some fucking questions. Yeah. So it's just basic asking him to fill in some gaps about where he was and whatever. Mm-hmm. And also, they're asking you questions because what if something pops up that you know or that mm-hmm. like you could help them, you know, go down that another you rabbit hole. know that you know. Yeah. You know, they had met on Sunday to go over all the stuff because they actually had the annual report like that day that they were sitting in his office. Right. So he had worked late at the office, went window shopping on Fifth Avenue, returned to the hotel around nine and like crashed out. Mm-hmm. So then we go outside, still in the precinct, but Munch is sitting with Sylvia's husband. Munch is sitting with Sylvia's husband, Ben Jr., at the precinct. Mm -hmm. This guy's got a super dumb goatee, and these Hadley dudes are making really questionable facial hair choices that I can't ignore, and I don't trust them. It makes them murderers. I immediately don't trust them. Yeah. I don't care if it's the 90s. (gasps) Also, here's another cute little fun fact. Not cute. Whatever. The actor that plays Dr. Ben is Ben Jr.'s actual dad like they're actually father oh, and son they, I, I remember thinking they did a really good job of like casting because they mm-hmm. looked similar like. yeah he's answering some questions about his wife they didn't have kids but he doesn't really like their questions and he's quick to say it's one of the quote-unquote new york city psychos walking the streets but it's not pc to take care of them yeah or whatever it's like what did you want to say? Yeah. Ben Jr. then gets up to leave and he's going to go see his parents at the hotel. He apologizes for being frustrated, but that's super understandable. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we forgive you, but not your goatee. Mm-hmm. He exits. The conversation between the detectives continues and Olivia tells Munch and Jeffries about her chat with Brad Weber. The doorman saw him. The phone records check out. 
So he's out as a possible suspect. Yeah. Munch tells Olivia that the only fingerprints they've got in the room are the maids and the room service guy, and he's got an alibi. Mm-hmm. Security guy Dangerfield had told them about a burglary at a buddy's hotel, so they're going to look into that. Yeah. It's all like pricey hotels in the area. Right. Okay. So remember how we were talking about the composite guy? And I was like, I feel like we should know him. That's Lenny Briscoe's nephew. Nephew. Yeah. So that's Briscoe. So they're really trying to make Briscoe fucking happen right now. Yeah. I didn't realize that was him. Yeah. Neither did yeah. I. So he takes the time stampless video surveillance footage to go comb through it. Mm-hmm. So that disappears for a minute. Oh, Stabler tells him that the latest burglary victim is Lana, Lana Hoffman. She's a guest at the Sussex. And that's the hotel that they're to. Yeah. All right. So that they're at the Sussex Hotel. Lana informs Benson Slayer that not only was her safe cleaned out, but the burglar had masturbated into her underwear. Uh, uh. And the cops just passed they, it off as an idiosyncratic thing yeah, that this they guy just, did. Like, dismissed it. She's like, I wasn't being followed. Like nobody. And she's like, Wait. Well, there was this guy in, that was like always reading the paper in the lobby, and he had like a red hat and wire rim glasses, and he, we rode the hotel one time together, and he creeped me out. And then she says some weird thing how she noticed him because he was wearing a red hat and that means that some men never grow up. Oh, because he's wearing a baseball cap and, and I think that's her and, yeah and I think I feel like that's something that's changed since the 2000s I agree I feel like dudes dads wear hats like that yeah it's not weird also okay she describes him as a short dude with wire rim glasses but always wore the same red baseball cap MAGA George Costanza got it <laughs> Also, she's a thin, pale, white blonde. Yeah. Just like our Vic. Yeah. Title card says that we're at the 31st Precinct, which is the burglary unit. It's Benson and Stabler and this burglary cop. And this burglary cop is like if a micro penis was a personality. <laughs> he acts like burglaries are just that and they don't lend themselves to possible rapes, which is like we just talked about that. Yeah. As like lay people, we're like, yeah, so many times there's another attempted burglary or an attempted burglary. This guy was in prison for attempted bur- burglary and then he committed rapes after he got out of prison. And he's like, you guys always think shit's about perverts. Yeah. Like everything is about perverts. Yeah. We're watching SVU. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler are leaving that precinct and he follows them outside mm-hmm. and he and Stabes have a toe-to-toe about SVU being weird and He's why did like, they pick that precinct to work in and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'm like, first of all, Olivia's passionate about it for a reason. And it's not your fucking business. Also, someone fucking has to. Yeah. Like, why do you work burglaries? Because you want to steal shit? Like, big yeah. deal. So Olivia gets a call and it turns out that Sylvia was pregnant. And then Stabler's like, make that double homicide. And then I'm like, mm. I know. I was like, mm. <laughs> we were both like, We're back at the precinct. Jeffries reports that Briscoe's combing through the tapes looking for that red hat. This burglary suspect is only hitting hotels with key card entries. Mm -hmm. And if my mom saw this at that time, she'd be like, see? (laughs) Right. Craig turns on the radio and Dr. Ben is giving a press conference about how sinful and corrupt the city is. Craigan's like, I want this shit cleaned up. Yeah. And the phone starts ringing and it's funny because he's like, where are we on it? We got to figure it out now because we know who's on the other end of that line. Yeah. Because of fucking religion invading politics. They're at the Rolleston Hotel. Munch and Jeffries are on the elevators. This elevator door opens. This dude with a red hat gets off. Munch and Jeffries are like, stay on the elevator kind of watching him. Munch may as well be wearing a giant magnifying glass costume with a sandwich board that says, I'm a detective because he's got on a black trench coat, 
black leather gloves and a hat, and, right? Uh, the only way I can describe it is by calling it a detective hat. Yeah. <laughs> you know exactly, like, whatever you picture when I say detective's hat, yeah. that is what he, he had, had on. the Sherlock Holmes hat on and a pipe. So they radio Benson and Stabler. All of them walk in on the dude robbing a room. So I know this is bad, but I like this guy. I did too. You did? Okay, yeah. cool. So they've got him. They're going to they're gonna take him in. The detectives have him out on the street. So then the burglary dick's there, and he's like, hey, that's our collar. And he puts his hands on staves. <sighs> he's got hot, hot, hot. Caliente. <laughs> Be still my heart. He put his hands on staves, and staves is like, don't touch me. I don't like to be touched. And Gabe's yeah. is like, like, Gabe's? Uh, Gabe's is, <laughs> Gabesler? Gabesler? <laughs> Gabesler's like... <laughs> I like how you laughed hard when I said it after you already said it. I know, but it was just good. It's good to hearing it out of someone else's mouth. Oh. So then into frame no, comes. Yeah, no, I'm, Gabesler is like sploosh. Yeah. So. <laughs> Mega George Costanza is like, if that's the guy that's going to be interrogating me, I definitely want my lawyer. Yeah. And they throw him in the car. They're the uh, in the interrogation room with uh, Mega George Costanza. He tells Munch and Jeffries he created the device that gets him in and out of the rooms. And they're like, isn't that... Like the FBI shit, and he was like, "Yeah, I mean, it was hard to make." Yeah, <laughs> you know. But he he has like extensive knowledge on like computers and stuff. He worked at an electronic something, but they fired him. I like how they were like, "Why, why don't you work there?" And he's like, "They fired me." Yeah, <laughs> like that's it. And he's like, "Dude, all the stuff I stole is in my apartment, like completely categorized." Yes, and it can be returned. And his lawyer's like, "Stop!" And he's like, "No, they have me. Like your job is to give give me a good deal, right? I did this to make a point." And I was like, I want to believe it because why else would he wear that red hat like a fucking Google Maps drop pin? I know. know? Yeah. And the lawyers just got steam coming out of his ears. Yeah. He want to make a point that the key cards don't work. Is that what that is? Yeah. I think I think he is just trying to make the point that they're it's dangerous or something. (laughs) Yeah. And then they're like, well, what about chising in underwear drawers? (laughs) And he was like, he's like, have you always been doing that? He's like, no, I didn't like to do that. But that's who I am. So the lawyer's really upset with this dude. Munch and Jeffries walk out to go talk to Benson and Stabler. That's right. And they do that like hot fucking. Yeah. And Stabes is like, guy thinks you're a White House plumber and he's G. Gordon Liddy. It's a Nixon Watergate reference, which is a super cute gift from Stabler to Munch. He loved it. Yeah. I looked it up and I'm like, I don't have time for this. But it was so munchy. They're really including him in a friendly way. Yeah. And then he was like, good one. And then Munch is like, round two, we go bad cop on his ass. Right, Jeffries? And they pound it out. And I'm loving this moment. I'm loving them as a team. She is making Munch likable for me. Yeah. Yeah. During this interaction between the four detectives, they're standing in front of the one-way glass. And Maga George Costanza walks up to the one-way glass, <laughs> presses his face up against it to try to see through it. And I'm snort laughing. <laughs> like, you know when somebody tries to see in a window like you're looking in a car but it's dark so you have to put your hands around the outside of your eyes he's doing that on the other side of this one-way glass like between them as they're talking it was fucking hilarious and nobody even they didn't even like yeah notice it really they decide not to tell ben jr about sylvia's pregnancy yet yeah munch and jeffries go back in to talk with maga george costanza they tell him he looks good for the rape homicide, and he's like, no, I was stealing a diamond-studded collar off a terrier at some other hotel in Soho. Yeah. It was a cute dog. Yeah. So they're at the precinct still. Benson and Stabler tell the Hadleys that they don't have the guy. Ben Jr. is all riled up, and Stabler's like, it wasn't awesome to get 
the press all riled up either. And he was like, I'm sorry. I know you guys are doing a good job. But yes, sorry yeah. for that. Yeah. Dr. Ben says, I know that your job is hard. And then young Ben was like, what's so hard? Yeah. Like my wife got murdered oh. in a hotel. And you're like, you don't know anything. As the episode goes on, I like him less and less and less. Mm-hmm. And by the end, I'm like, I fucking hate you. Yeah. The diamond studded collar gets confirmed stolen by Maga George Costanza by Jeffries. So because they had a sur- search warrant for his apartment. Yeah. yeah. And it was there. So he's cleared from yeah. the murder. Yeah. So the Hadleys leave the precinct. Craigan comes out of his office like, what the shit, you guys? Could she be pregnant from another dude? Because the husband doesn't know that mm-hmm. she's pregnant, at least hasn't said anything to them that he knows. Why didn't she fight off her attacker? Maybe she felt like she was being punished for being a shitty person because she yeah. was pregnant from somebody else or whatever. And Benson um, wondered if somebody else was like stalking her mm-hmm. that same night. Yeah. Craigan thinks she knew the guy. Yeah, because... That's a thing that Benson brought up, that it would be weird. She's like, okay, so there's like another stalking dude in a hotel. Like, like what are the odds of that? Right. Yeah. The same, and with the same MO, too. It was just strange that he, she fit his MO, because he went after pale, thin, white blondes. Yeah. Um, and I keep saying pale, but I think it's just like the early 2000s. I think by 2005, everybody will be bright orange. Right. Yeah. Craig tells Munch and Jeffries to stick with mega George Casanza. And Benson and Stabler to check out the check out Sylvia at the hotel. Yeah. Okay. They're at the Versailles Hotel. Benson and Stabler uh, speak with room service. They are told that she was annoying. <laughs> like she would order something, and that when it was delivered, she would think of something else she wanted. The night before she was killed, they told her that she, they couldn't restock her mini bar. She's like, yeah. "Fine, I'm going to the bar." Yeah. The guy that had dropped off the food said he didn't see the door was shut. He's like, "There could be somebody in there." Every time he went in there, the bathroom door was always closed. Yeah. But he's like, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's something I noticed. Yeah. So when they're in the bar, the bartender tells them that Sylvia was there on Friday and Saturday night. And on Saturday night, she was with this guy and he was drinking like slowly and she was drinking, trying to get hammered. Oh, this fucking bartender. I know. And that she was kind of like all over him and like laughing at every joke and blah, blah, blah. He looks up the credit card and it was fucking... (gasps) Brad Weber, the financial guy. She said that the two left together. What were yeah. you going to say about the, the bartender, though? Okay, first of all, the bartender was adorable, mm-hmm. like aesthetically. The bartender has quite the monologue. I only quoted one thing because I was like, this just encompasses like his whole big monologue. She's drinking apple martinis to lose control, and he's drinking Amstelites to try and keep it. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, right. It's like the they always make bartenders these forlorn, like, wisdom fucking, you know, like. It's it's so like, classic. I've, but I've also- seen it once. I've seen it a million times. And all the times I've been tending this bar, I've seen every kind of person. You know what I mean? When I was bartending. You're like, shut up, Bill. <laughs> Get your course light in a minute. I'm just trying to pay my fucking rent. Yeah. So Benson and Sailor call in Brad Weber for questioning. Mm. He denies having an affair with Sylvia, but the account is super high maintenance and they're his biggest clients. He felt like she was hitting on him and he had to do it. He didn't want to lose a client. He felt like he was being harassed almost. Dabler's like, I don't buy it, but I'm also like, dudes can be harassed too, dude. You know, I believed him yeah. because his reasoning made so much sense. Yeah. He like, felt he like was she up could a- ruin his life. Yeah. She was up on his dick so hard. 
it was super awkward because he's in a weird place where he kind of has to do what she wants. So she's like, well, I want to go to the bar. And he's like, okay. And that's why he was nursing beers because he felt uncomfortable being there. And he's like, I'm very happily married. He said even though he drank the beer slowly, they still went to his head. And he said he found himself walking her back to her room, but that they kissed outside her room. But that was it. Yeah. He realized he had just changed his relationship with his wife forever. Yeah. So he went back to his room. Yeah. He's like, if you're married, you'll understand this. You could see Stabler register that. I fully believe him and I'm on board with this guy and I feel bad that I made fun of his hair. That's not true. I'm not. I would still make fun of his hair, but I enjoy him. Yeah. Um, He sticks with the fact that he was in his room on Sunday night. And then they're like, did you watch any paid movies? And he's like, no. And they're like, that does not look good for you. Right. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, Benson and Stabler are back at the hotel and they're talking to Dr. Ben and it was 100% this guy is mm-hmm. where my head's at. Yeah, It's just his face. He looks like a Flanders vampire. <laughs> I fucking hate him. <laughs> and then he's like, with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured again and with who woodchucks ye chuck we would. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dude. And Stabler's like, Shut up. Like, <laughs> knock it off. Like, can we not do scripture? Can you just fucking tell me what's up? You know? Also, is that scripture? Because it sounded like something yeah. just made up. He's like, I'm going to throw a bunch of like, he's like, yees and thous together. And Corinthians 42, 17. Who's on first? Seashells <laughs> <laughs> down by the seashore. <laughs> So they're like, is there anything we should know about Brad Weber? Dr. Ben's like, he's always a little in the tank and makes passes at women. And I'm like, I don't believe you. Yeah. He's pushing that angle too fucking hard. And his son is like, what do you mean? And he's like, come on, son, late nights, two to three times a week. And the background work of the bereaved husband, Ben Jr., is fucking hilarious. So Staves and Dr. Ben keep talking and the son is in the background out of focus just going, this is unbelievable. And and the dad keeps like looking over at him and back at Sailor. And he's just like got his arms folded, shaking his head to himself. Huh. Well, it's just something else. He's like, son, maybe you just didn't want to see it. Stabler's like Sylvia wanted to end it and that's why Brad killed yeah. her because he didn't want to lose the account. And they were like, No. And the son's in the back like, I'm still upset about the other stuff. And he's like, I need blood. And the <laughs> And the mom slash wife slash would you like any coffee (laughs) is always on the sidelines of these scenes, but has so much side eye that I am waiting for her moment. I know. Benson Stabler in the interrogation room with Weber again and his attorney. He admits to drinking often at the Midville functions, but because it was, you know, there was so much stress involved. Mm -hmm. He explains that he spent all this extra time with Sylvia because Dr. Hadley had made a bad deal when he bought the college. Now there's like this huge like balloon payment due and it requires a lot of planning. Right. In my notes I have, I believe Brad! Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. And he, he agrees to a blood test to get him off their suspect list. They're at the precinct. They're digging up shit on Dr. Ben now. And he seems to be pretty fire happy with anybody who doesn't agree with him. They want to try to get some dirt out of that stewing son of his. Yeah. So they're at New York University and Munch and Jeffries are talking to a philosophy professor that Dr. Ben had fired who used to work at Midvale College for Dr. Ben. He actually worked there too before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he left Brown, I think, to go to school at oh. to teach at Midvale because Brown was getting too like conservative and like they were taking books off the shelves and stuff. 
But then they started doing that at Midvale too when he, this guy bought it because he's a conservative. Right. It's like The Origin of Species was like the first book that got taken out. Sis is spilling the tea on Dr. Ben mm-hmm. because he was saying that Sylvia was with Dr. Ben a ton and Ben Jr. was really nice but nepotism got him the job. Mm-hmm. But that his wife had earned her place. Like she had earned all of her degrees and her job. Mm-hmm. Benson and Stabler show up to a memorial thing for Sylvia at Midvale College and Dr. Ben is up behind a podium squeezing out a fake tear over Sylvia and the wife is mayor of Side-Eye City. Am I a genius or is this the most obvious shit ever? Yeah, it's... I want to say both. I've seen episodes of Teletubbies with less predictable endings. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler are talking to the son after this and they're asking about her and he said over the last couple of years she had changed a lot, jet-setting and cell phoning until she was unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. But the precinct, Jeffries tells Cragen that the DNA excludes the former employees. So Cragen informs them Weber's DNA cleared him and he resigned as manager of the endowment, which is like a pretty big deal, you'd think. Mm-hmm. Ben's mother, Christian mom lady, seems to be the glue that holds the family together. Cragen wants the family's DNA. He tells them to ask nicely, but get a warrant if they need to. Yeah. He also wants to interview the mom alone. They're in the interrogation room with the mom. This lady tells Benson that happiness is highly overrated and that Sylvia was very loyal to her husband and the family. And then Benson's like, what does that mean? She doesn't really say anything. But then Benson fucking tells her Sylvia was two months pregnant. And she's like freaking out kind of. And she's like, how could he do this? And she's like, your son? And she's like, no, my husband has been having an affair with her for two years. And I'm like... Whoa. (laughs) This is new information that I didn't assume happened. Like, what is this fucking amateur hour? (laughs) Right. We all know that already. Yeah. So Cragen tells the team that if she tries to leave, then arrest her for obstruction or anything because he does not want her to give the dudes in her life, like Ben, the Bens, the heads up that they are coming for them. He orders Ben and Dr. Hadley brought in separately. When you talk about the Bens, all I think about is coming up too fast from scuba diving. Uh, there's air in your blood sir (laughs) they're in the interrogation room they were brought in separately dr hadley's lawyers show up oh my god and dr ben is trying to have a fucking sass off with staves yeah i hate the way he's talking and it's like he's doing it more and more intentionally as the episode goes on for the last time my friends i'm not going to get into any particulars until my lawyer arrives and benson's like that's fine the dna is plenty to corroborate your wife's story and he's like what story yeah and staves is like maybe we shouldn't say anything until your lawyer gets here and i'm like that's right. That's right. and then there's tap on the glass yeah and the detectives get up and they leave the room yeah briscoe told them what he found on the tapes he found ben in yeah. the hotel elevator around the time that sylvia was killed he actually wasn't in baltimore they verify ben's arrival through the credit card atm withdrawals and pictures from the hotel elevator i guess he had taken a train mm-hmm. from baltimore then Benson shows the ADA the DNA test results, and he decides he wants to go for them both. It's the old switcheroo, my friends. Yeah. The red herring, and I fucking fell hook, line, and sinker for it. Yeah. Hook, line, sinker, bobber, pole, fishing analogies, fisherman, boat, little Net. styrofoam thing that the worms are in. <laughs> the worms. <laughs> yeah, Craig tells them to put the two together and flip them. We're going to have to get them to turn on each other. You take two polecats, <laughs> throw them in the same bag, and then look out. <laughs> He sounds like the dude from Men in Black. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Or that's who you morphed into when you did it. <laughs> so I'm going to need to take some time to properly describe this. Ben Jr. is in a dark interrogation room sitting. We can see his face slash goatee in profile. 
-hmm. Cragen bends over behind him and is in profile right behind Ben Jr.'s shoulder. And he's like whisper talks and says, we have you in a big, big lie, Ben. My nipples would have been so hard if I was Ben. (laughs) (laughs) And he stays there for a hilariously long time over his shoulder. Ben Jr. seems very confused. Dr. Ben is surprised, fucking smug as shit. Dr. Ben's lawyer is there. And Ben Jr. again insists that he was in Baltimore. Jeffries comes in and says the scratch on Sylvia's neck matches DNA found under Ben Jr.'s fingernails. And I'm like, wash your hands, dude. Yeah. And he's like, I didn't. And then they have this Maury Povich moment. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Cragen goes, sure, blame the messenger. Detective, does the sperm DNA match that of Ben Jr.? And Jeffries is like, no, sir. But here's where I'm surprised. The son is legit finding out in that moment that his dad has been banging his wife mm-hmm. is what it sounds like. Yeah. Well, he didn't know it was his dad. He just had a suspicion oh, that, right, she, that was she was, was cheating an- on him. Yeah. Yeah. So he like was coming down there. He didn't know it was his dad. Ew. So then his dad rolls his eyes a little when he's like scream sobbing at him. Yeah. He's like, can we continue this in private, Captain? Yeah. I would come fucking unglued. So then Cragen to Ben Jr. goes, would you like to make a statement now? And Cragen hits record on the giant tape recorder. Mm Mm-hmm. And here we go. It took up a quarter of the room. It was Hal from the (laughs) Space Space Odyssey movies. Yeah. So he starts telling a story, Ben Jr. I've been suspicious for some time. When this trip came up, I couldn't stand it any longer. So then he describes going to her room. He's like, she took five minutes to answer the door. I asked her who she'd been sleeping with. And this is gaslighty as fuck, but she laughs and calls him paranoid. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm fucking triggered. Right. Yeah. So he's like, I lost it. I grabbed her by the shoulders. I wanted to shake some sense into her. And I'm like, fuck that sentiment, by the way. Right? Yeah. Fuck you for trying to give a reason why you wanted to shake her. Yeah. Keep your hands to yourself. Right. She went limp like she wanted to be punished. And then he cries and he's mad at his dad. And Craig is like, we can finish this later. They're all coddling this fucking guy who just admitted to murdering his wife. Yeah. And then, but he's still pointing the finger at his, yeah, creepy, yeah. weird vampire-y, but pointing the finger at his fucking dad. You murdered your wife. Yeah. Why are we all acting like this guy needs to be fucking coddled? Like it was the dad's, what the dad did sucked. Right. But that's an explanation, not an excuse for murder. Nobody I mean, says that. Yeah. It's so bizarre how they seem to feel for him and comfort him. He's just being this weird man baby who murdered his wife by choking her to death, which is super personal and like a really up close, familiar way to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. And then somehow like condemning the dad for it. I don't know. Dr. Ben's an absolute piece of shit, but I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Ben Jr. goes to leave. They open the door and Mrs. Hadley like throws her arms around him and gives him a huge hug and comes in to confront her husband Mm -hmm. and have her moment. Yeah. This is a culmination of side eyes. Yeah. This is a volcano of side eyes. This is if a side eye could speak English, this is what it would say. And I know we knocked the whole nameless woman thing, but this- like, what the fuck? There's less than two minutes left in the episode- (laughs) Mrs. Hadley is like, two years of watching my husband, my soon-to-be former husband, fornicating with my son's wife. And Dr. Ben, with unbreaking eye contact, stands up dramatically, reaches out his hand, and just says, Sharon. (laughs) I know, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah! (laughs) They're taunting us. They're doing it on purpose. And then she goes fathering his own grandchild yeah she's like what would you call him son ben the third yeah and she leaves i feel like the point of this whole episode was her name yeah that's it that's a bummer man yeah 
this reminds me of the remember the episode where the guy's like, my dad won't stop fucking my girlfriends. We're like, stop bringing them over. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chaser. All right. So this is the first episode that had a title card referencing a ripped from the headline story where it was like, this is modeled after real events. Yeah, I was excited to hear about this. Yeah, this shit is bonkers. It's like the real life story is almost more nuts than the episode of SVU. Hillsdale College is a small, remote, privately funded liberal arts school in Hillsdale, Michigan, which is just north of the Ohio-Indiana border, or like where the two states meet. Opened in 1844, the school itself has a pretty impressive history of non-discrimination, admitting women and people of color before the Civil War, and was famously anti-slavery. That gets a little muddy considering the source for this is the history page of the actual college, but I'm going to digress there because this isn't what we're talking about. The school has for decades been independently funded, therefore avoiding interference by the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. The school claims to be non-denominational, but by all accounts, leans very conservative. Sure. All of that being said about the school, we're here to talk about the Roche family. Roche? We're here to talk about the Roche family. I think it's Roche. It's R-O-C-H-E. And Roche? I saw some news report and no, it said- if there's an E after it, it should be Roche then, right? It said, yeah, it said Roche and there was no like apostrophe because I'm like, ooh, Roche, those are delicious. I have, don't even know what that is. Oh my God, they're those hazelnut balls. It's like a wafery ball and oh, then it's yeah. dipped in, they're always around, Um, they always do the ads around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. They're like, Roche. And they have just tablescapes of them and yeah. shit. Like, they're like wrapped in the little gold thing. Yes, yeah. it's the fanciest fucking thing you could eat. Fancy treats. Fancy eats, fancy treats. Come down to Roche's. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> I'm crying. So we're here to talk about the Roche Because it's so delicious. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll stop. Don't. I saw you lean. I wasn't going to do it. I, mean, I have nothing else. I was thinking and I can't think of anything else. It's time to move on. Like as soon as I leaned into my mic, you're like. <laughs> In 1971, George Roche III became president of Hillsdale College. So this dude came in swinging his dick around immediately. When he entered, the school was near bankruptcy. But when he left 28 years later, he had brought in more than $324 million in privately oh. donated funds. Yes. Oh, they refused to accept Pell Grants or GI Bill benefits to avoid being considered a recipient for federal funds. And Roche went hard on this when the federal government told him that he had to alter admissions policies to comply with affirmative action. There are a lot of layers to this. And I could have gone down a rabbit hole with that. But we're talking about this one this, particular story with this family. Yeah, this isn't. Yeah, the school stuff isn't really even about it yeah. so much. That's really just to paint the picture that this guy was the president of this private conservative school and it had tons of funds and so did he. Like he had money and See, prestige I, and everything. You're going to find a lot of parallels with the true life story and the story that was told on SVU. Like a lot of this in the beginning and then it kind of takes a little SVU Insp- split. It's like inspired by actual mm-hmm. So George Roche III was said to be an intensely strict and power-wielding president. Multiple professors have said that they were fired and many students expelled for conflicting with Roche in one way or another. One former employee told the Chronicle of Higher Education, quote, it's a rather Stalinist kind of environment. This guy wasn't fucking around. Okay. And everybody knew it. George III and his wife had four children together, one being a son, George IV, and his nickname and what he was referred to was IV, like fully pronouncing the Roman numerals of his suffix because he Mm -hmm. was George IV. Ivy. Yeah. So he's called him Ivy. That yeah. was his nickname. You can't get any more 
Anglo. <laughs> so Ivy attended Hillsdale College in the late 70s, and while attending school there, he met his wife, Lissa. The college was a family affair. Ivy became a history lecturer and PE teacher at Hillsdale. Thanks, Dad. Lissa became editor of one of their huge publications and managing editor of another. Like, one of the things I read about um, some of their publications is one of them was read by or it had like a million person readership. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty mm -hmm. widespread thing for such a small, it was a small remote school, you yeah. know? Lissa was also a go-to contact person for the college. Big deal donor conservatives would be escorted around the campus by Lissa personally. So they dealt with her. Yeah. Not long after Ivy and Lissa were married in 1980, yeah. rumors started circulating the campus about Dad George. I call him Dad George for the rest just because it was like Ivy and Dad George. Rumors started circulating the campus about Dad George and Lissa. Most were suspicions of Lissa being in love with her father-in-law, but there wasn't a large held belief that her feelings were reciprocated or that anything was actually going on. That allegedly began in 1980. So then in August of 1998, 18 years later, Dad George filed for divorce and Mrs. Roche moved out of Broadlawn. Fancy estates have names and this one was called Broadlawn. Hmm. Their home, their estate. Dad George, that I can't stop. I'm having a hard time focusing because I'm... Gabe is holding my dog, Walter, wrapped in a blanket like a newborn baby. Over my shoulder. Over her shoulder. Are you burping him? I'm she just finished breastfeeding him. Say, sorry, I get emotional when I'm full of oxytocin from <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Dad George then asked his son, Ivy, and Lissa to move in. Apparently, he needed their help taking care of his elderly mother and young son. So... Like, Grandma has been living with Dad George forever. Also, eye roll. Right. Ivy was not into it, but Lissa was stoked. Yeah. So they went. Ivy asserted that he had no idea that anything was or could possibly be happening between his father and his wife. He started to suspect it when the finalization of the divorce happened in April of 1999. So the second half of 99 is wild for the Roche family. Early September 1999, Dad George all of a sudden has a super serious girlfriend named Mary Hagen and says they're getting married on September 13th, which is like next week. He tells Ivy and Lissa they need to move out, so they head back to their old place because rich people just keep their houses, you guys. Mm -hmm. All of this was within like a couple blocks. Like these, these are all like on the same kind of grounds-ish yeah. places. Things were getting messy, okay? Messier, fucking sloppy. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but Lissa was insanely jealous of Mary and things got really tense between Lissa and IV. Like, no shit, she's been on and off fucking his dad for 19 years. But he doesn't believe it, though. He doesn't know. He just started suspecting it when his dad finalized the divorce in April. Yeah, and then started having a girlfriend and she got jealous, yeah. Yeah. Dad, George, and Mary got married September 13th as planned, a month and two days later, on October 15th, Ivy was playing racquetball at the Hillsdale Athletic facility. Like, of course he was. Mm -hmm. Are you picturing these people? Yeah. This guy is also obviously playing racquetball, wearing a white, white. V-neck sweater <laughs> yeah. with uh, Short, his family crest emblazoned on the chest pocket. Yeah. Yeah. That's where he keeps his doubloons. <laughs> like gold coins. I don't know. <laughs> That was what pirates are trying to find. De Blooms? It sounds like a place where you could get Scarf. shitty commercial jewelry. <laughs> oh, Ooh. get it at De Blooms. De Blooms. <laughs> Located off of Todd Drive on the Beltline. Next to the Dairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, while Ivy is playing racquetball on October 15th, 
Dad George goes to Ivy and Lissa's house because he's a messy bitch to tell Lissa that he was dumping his new wife and wanted them to move back into Broadlawn. A month later? Mm-hmm. Oh, he, they're just playing games back and forth. Yeah, he's hes a messy little bitch. He married her just to, like, fuck around with... Oh, my God. A fair aside, if anybody asked me to move that much, they would not be worth my time. Like, fuck you. <laughs> Moving is hard. Yeah. Well, if you're rich and you can have people do it. I guess, but, like, isn't it inconvenient, to say the least? Yeah. Where is that sweater? Oh, it's the one I don't have a duplicate of, and it's being moved. Right. Yeah, okay. So Lissa was jazzed as shit again and went straight down to the sports complex to tell Ivy the awesome news. She couldn't even wait till he got home from racquetball. Yeah. Cut to two days later, October 17th at 1 a.m., Mary calls IV to tell him that Dad George was having a diabetic insulin reaction. And this wasn't an uncommon occurrence, so IV went into action that he had gone into many, many times. This happened a couple times a year. He called 911 and drove his dad to the hospital. At 1 a.m., he gets up to this phone call, and nobody else in the house wakes up. So then IV gets home around 3 a.m., and Liz is like, hey, what's up? Where were you? He told her everything that had happened. And also, he's like, oh, looks like Dad and Mary are back on, and he isn't leaving her now. So Lissa's response was like, oh, fuck no, and took off to the hospital alone, only to be turned away by Mary. So she, like, booked it to the hospital at 3 in the morning to be like, what the fuck is going on? Whoa. She's getting to the end of this rope that she's... And Ivy was like, all right, I don't I don't know where where well okay so somewhere in late 99 like in between like the marriage and the diabetic thing and the him saying he's leaving and blah 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 all this stuff Lissa kicked Ivy out of the house for a couple days and was pursuing a separation with him mm-hmm. the way that sounds to me is the conversations happening between Lissa and dad George were like well I'm getting married you're married to my son and blah 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 and her I mean we're lucky that she didn't fucking kill her husband right so Ivy had a class to teach late in the morning that day so he went back to bed three in the morning da 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 he gets up to go to this thing his class was reportedly quote unquote out in a field question mark like seven miles north of Hillsdale I don't know why that detail was necessary I just thought it was weird Hmm. it's like I've got class out in a field his dad's like that's right your job matters at 10 30 that morning dad george's secretary office manager mm-hmm. pat loper comes hightail into the field to tell iv that lissa had called dad george on the phone and was threatening to kill herself so ivy immediately goes to the house where he finds lissa beside herself insisting they go up to the hospital she was freaking out in the car the whole way there and saying she was going to commit suicide the Late- hospital to see him or the hospital because she wanted to get help okay. to see dad george yeah she's like i'm gonna kill myself i need to talk to your dad my father-in-law like now so later ivy said that her freak out her unraveling all that happening was not super like her and that he had never seen her that way before mm-hmm. so he's just kind of doing what she says like i want to go to the hospital and talk to your dad i'm gonna fucking kill myself so they go and they go to his room and with her husband father-in-law and his new wife in the room lissa fully confesses to the years-long affair that she and dad george had been having mm-hmm. and ivy goes is she telling the truth or is she having some sort of breakdown to his dad and then reportedly ivy said that his dad quote didn't say a word i could tell by looking at him that she was telling the truth i saw you (laughs) sorry i just cut you off go ahead i saw the look in his eyes he was caught lissa and ivy then went home and lissa said you need to go back and see your dad and tell him we all need to leave hillsdale and go somewhere else and start over all of us together yeah yeah 
I'm like, what the fuck? We all, she's in the middle of a breakdown, yeah. right? Does he leave to go do that? Ivy did it. Oh. He went and told his dad this shit. And his dad was like, fucking no, dude. And then denied the affair. After he had a minute to think about it, he's like, that didn't happen. So then Ivy did some reaching out, like in this time of him going to the hospital and everything, he did some reaching out, talked to nurses, tried to find counseling or some kind of help for his wife because he could tell she clearly needed it. Yeah. So he goes home and Lissa just seems off. Oh, really? <laughs> she just was, you know, like no longer beside herself. Chill, but not in a chill way. Yeah, where it's like, it's almost like... You know that thing where you're cried out and you feel dead inside and you just like stare... And that's almost the, worse. That's what you know? I picture. Yeah. yeah. She asked him to go to his dad's to check in on his grandma because remember his grandma is living at his dad's house. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to leave you right now. And she's like, just go, just go check on grandma. So he goes up to Broadlawn, but his dick dad and Mary had just gotten back. So he turned around and went home because he's like, fuck that. I'm not talking to my dad. Yeah. He was gone for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. When he got home, he couldn't find his wife. Ivy ran around the house, worried for Lissa's well-being, but he couldn't find her. He finally noticed that the back door was open. He went out into the Arboretum. Jesus, you guys. What? He had an Arboretum. Um, (laughs) No, I was just like, I'm reading it. They're like, he went to the backyard and then another door to the Arboretum was ajar. And then he (laughs) went to the gazebo. (laughs) But this is like not the time for jokes because he found her still warm body lying (gasps) in the gazebo. Yes. What? She had put Ivy's 38 special to the side of her head and ended her life. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. Holy shit. Yeah. I Ivy was kind of did. No, I thought maybe he was going to do it or he was going to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Shit. Okay, go ahead. Ivy was a mess, but also finally pissed. Yeah. Because he knew the college was going to spin the story. The truth was a PR nightmare, so he predicted that they would say, take a deep breath, Gabe. I have it in my notes. Tell Gabe to take a deep breath. <sighs> He predicted that they would say, here was a woman who just went crazy, mm-hmm. which is what his dad mm-hmm. was trying to say. Mm-hmm. 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 Gabe's head just did a complete 360. <laughs> Ivy straight up was like, fuck that, and went to the higher ups on the board and told them everything. So everybody's panicking, trying to keep the lid on shit while they figure it out. Remember, this is a private school that's funded by conservative donors yeah okay everybody's panicking hustling around doing their part trying to protect the school and lissa is dead and what does dad george do oh my god i don't even want to know okay i won't tell you the end no (laughs) he goes to hawaii on his honeymoon with his new wife mary no this guy is a fucking sociopath dude fuck that guy yeah is he dead let me finish the story okay sorry but yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) we don't care about him Okay, on the 1st of November, an executive committee hears the evidence and places Dad George on a leave of absence. On the 4th, they announce his leave, and the conservative press, who cares about this kind of shit, is like, oh my god, what? I'm surprised they wouldn't take the, like, crazy, the crazy woman fucking thing and run with it, just for the hell of it. Oh, well, we're not done. Oh my god, oh my fucking god. So, then on the 10th, the board calls an emergency meeting, dickhole dad has to fly home for it. Mm. The VP of External Affairs for the school is roughly quoted in this National Review article as saying, We will never know the truth, but the perception of the truth is what condemns President Roche. He cannot retrieve his credibility. There are only two people in the world who know for certain what happened. One is dead and the other is denying everything. Another rep for the school was quoted in calling Lissa a pathological liar. Oh my fucking God. Oh fucking K bro code handbook, I said. (laughs) Yeah. I said to myself in my notes. I did. (laughs) Yeah. I dashed it. O dash fucking dash K-A-Y. Yeah. 
Dude, why is it so... This goes back to Adam and Eve. It does. Why is it men are supposed to be these insanely strong destroyer of countries and conquerors and women are supposed to be these like demure whatever, but they can literally like they're it's fucking I just can't. (sighs) It's not our fault that you do anything. The VP of External Affairs went on to say that the shit ton of circumstantial evidence was pretty heavy, though. Then fucking Chode Mode 3000 comes in, probably with a fresh Hawaiian tan. I was going to say, with a lay on. What's going on, guys? (laughs) His wife's with him doing the quite stand-by-your-man routine, okay? Okay. Dad George is like, I get it. I can't be president anymore, but I swear I wasn't having an affair with her. He says, quote, with God as my witness. Jesus people think this is the ultimate. I'm 100% telling the truth, by the way, when it doesn't mean shit. Yeah. It does you're saying it. He goes, quote, I loved Lissa and Lissa loved me. I think she got very, very confused. Mm-hmm. Wow, dude. The balls. I know. He goes on to say that he should have seen the signs, like he would have done something to help her. Right. What a piece of shit. Ivy said that the family had become much closer, minus his dad after this happened and had really gathered around him in support after all that he had endured. He -hmm. said that he didn't ever expect his dad to admit to the affair and stop talking to him after the whole thing. Oh, this was, this was in an article I read and something he said at the end of it to the interviewer, he like looked over his shoulder and he was like, I'm the good George around here. Mm. (laughs) So Jerry Falwell looking motherfucker, George Roche, the third died of a heart attack in 2006. (laughs) We'll post a picture of him. As soon as I saw a picture of him, I was like, you look like every Christian white dude. That has any power. And I I was like, I want to make fun of him but with like a descriptor name. And then I'm like, Jerry Falwell. I'm like, I should Google it just to make sure. And it was the picture of the same guy, basically. Was he wearing a white suit? No, it was like a one of those church glamour shots. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> oh, so anyway... That guy's dead. He was 70 and never admitted to the affair, letting the conservative news spin the story into one where he's wrongly accused and Lissa was crazy. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. I read multiple articles. One of them specifically spun it like a fucking Fox News story if I've ever heard one. Yeah. The way that they talked about her, like she fucking killed herself. She was driven crazy by this gaslighting motherfucker Mm -hmm. not to say that she didn't have a part she had a part of course but like let's look at the facts of how these relationships run yeah you know what i mean and the guy was in a position of power and like this is like a fucking monica Lewinsky situation right hopefully at this point in time people can like they can maybe see that that's not i can't go into it anymore i'm just like i'm just going in circles it's the same shit we always talk about i'm tired women are crazy and men need to look out because here we're coming yeah we're coming for you it's funny how we are but not in the way that you think (laughs) Um, it's funny how much, like, especially those, like, incel dudes that are, like, feminism is going to tear apart society. <laughs> and women going to work is going to tear apart society. And you're like, that's it's so weird how much, it's really weird how much you're admitting to the power that we have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, we're just these meek little whatever. But then if we go to work, we're going to destroy the fucking world. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you're just Im- admitting to the, all the, the power that we have. That's insane. I don't understand anything. I hate everything. I'm very tired too. You can explain and educate one guy, but then three seconds later, there's another one. Yep. And there's just another one. And, you're just and they can the only be educated to a, to a certain point. You can't, like, you can do your best. And this falls under every category of every everybody that that isn't a straight, cis, white dude. Yeah. That you can only be educated to a degree. 
you know, because you don't like, have you the have experience. To, yeah, and then the, the rest you have to like see within yourself. Get right. a glimmer of like, well, I'm a part of this or whatever. And we're like pretty straight white ladies. Yeah. So we have it like. Pretty straight. <laughs> there, It's a spectrum. <laughs> like we have it better. I can't even imagine the fucking day-to-day shit like people of color. Oh, my God. Mm. And I like I'm just exhausted sometimes just being a fucking woman and dealing with that shit. Like lit- all these things. I can't even imagine just the day-to-day shit. The people, oh my God. it's Even men that want to be... Even the quote-unquote good ones. I'm saying, you know, in the same. John, you know we're talking about you. My yeah. husband puts forth, he puts in the work, and he considers himself a feminist, and I consider him a feminist. The way that he is willing to educate himself and some of the light bulbs that he's had that I try not to laugh at him because he's like, oh, you guys are marginalized. And I'm like, oh yeah (laughs) you know there was one thing that you told me i was trying to explain it to johnny about how when he was talking about some book but like he was saying like oh my god you have to adjust everything can you can do you remember what you're talking about yeah he was having this epiphany that women have to adjust for men he's like the world is built for me society and the world that we live in is built like is created for me and everyone else has to adjust to that like why the fuck do they have to adjust to that yeah you know why doesn't the world adjust to them to you guys and i'm like i don't know <laughs> yeah you know and and i picked on him a little bit because i'm just i'm like that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's cute that you're finding that out. I, it's also a huge, when you told me that story It made too, his head it, explode. It was like a huge thing. You're like. His brains were everywhere. Yeah. I collected like, them back up. I put them back in his head. I made him a nice grilled cheese and I tucked him into bed with a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Well, we're done. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. bye. Yeah. John said he just listened to the, what was it, the Entitled episode, mm-hmm. and he said we sound high. He's like, not in a bad way, just like in a you guys are really goofy kind of way. Oh, yeah. You get like high on each other's friendship. I just like... <laughs> and I don't... And yeah, that would be just like another accommodation you're making because you're like, well, this is the world we're living in. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make chili. Wait, that's my mom. <laughs>